Hello, my lovelies, and welcome back to Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane and the continuation of our English folktale miniseries this month. Today, we're going to find another hero named Jack. So this week, I'm reading How Jack Sought the Golden Apples. Once, the King of England fell sick, and the wise men said that nothing would make him well but to eat of some golden apples that could only be found in a far distant country. Then the king's eldest son said to the next eldest son, Let's get those apples, for if we do, we'll raise ourselves high in our father's favor. He'll give us castles and treasures, gold and silver and jewels. I said the second son. Those apples would truly profit us much. Then Jack, the youngest son, said, I'd seek the apples too, but only because I wish with all my heart to see our father well again. <laughs> As always, you're a fool, the eldest cried. You'll never get anywhere if you take no thought for yourself. Be that as it may, Jack answered, and the next day he set out on horseback with his brothers. But at the first crossroad, the two eldest said to Jack, "'We're taking the road to the right. We'll have you with us no longer. You must take the turn to the left.' "'That's all right with me,' Jack answered, and off he went by himself. Over hill and dale he rode far and afar away. Then one night he came to a tumble-down house near a forest, and by the door sat an ugly old man.' He had long, gray hair, his teeth were curling out of his mouth, and his fingers and toenails had not been cut for one hundred years. "'Good evening, my king's son,' said the old man. "'Good evening, sir,' Jack answered, trembling a little at seeing such an ugly old fellow. But when he had stabled his horse at the old man's bidding and the two were eating supper, all Jack's fear died down for under the old man's terrifying appearance he was in truth a lovable fellow. At last he said, "'Jack, I know you're seeking the golden apples to make your father well. In this search I can help you, but you'll have to stay here tonight, and it won't be too pleasant for you. Frogs and snakes will crawl over you, but mind you, you mustn't so much as stir, for if you do, you'll be turned into a frog or a snake yourself.' At that Jack shivered again, but he got up his courage and went to bed. Then it happened just as the old man had said. Snakes crawled over him, frogs hopped on his body, they bit and stung him, but he never stirred. And next morning the old man asked, "'Well, son, how are you?' Jack replied, "'Very well, thank you.' "'Good!' the old man cried. "'You've got on well so far. "'Now you must go on to my next eldest brother.' "'Then the old man brought out a fresh horse "'and gave Jack a ball of yarn, "'bidding him to throw it between the horse's ears "'and follow wherever it led. "'So Jack flung the ball between the horse's ears "'and off he went like the wind. "'Thus he came at last to the next brother's house.' which was as tumble-down as the first ones had been. And the old man here was even uglier than his brother. 
However, he put Jack's horse in his stable, gave the youth plenty to eat, and talked most kindly to him. At last he said, "'Son, I'll send word to my eldest brother. He'll be able to send you on to the place where the golden apples are. But tonight you mustn't stir, no matter what happens.' So Jack went to bed and bore all the crawlings, the hoppings, the bites, and stings again. But next morning he was as hearty and well as ever. The old man brought a fresh horse and a new ball of yarn. Telling Jack that he had sent word to his eldest brother, he bade the youth to be on his way. For, he said, you have much more to go through before you'll get those apples. So Jack flung the ball, and off he went like lightning, till he came to the eldest brother's house. This old man was as ugly as the others, but after supper he said, "'My son, in this house nothing will disturb you. Tonight you'll sleep well that you may be wide awake tomorrow, for tomorrow is the great day, the day when you will either fail or succeed in this venture you've undertaken.' and tis only by heeding every word of my instructions that you'll come back alive. Speak, Jack answered. I shall heed you. Well, this is what you must do, the old man said. You must start out early, for you'll have to go and come in one day, since there's no safe spot for you to rest within thousands of miles of that place. When you draw near it, you will see a big castle, surrounded by coal-black water. Then tie your horse to a tree. Three white swans will be floating on the black water, and you must say, Swan, swan, carry me over in the name of the griffin of the greenwood. At that, the swans will take you to the castle. There you will have to pass three gates. The first will be guarded by dragons the second by lions, the third by giants. So mind this well, you must be there exactly at one o'clock and leave precisely at two, for all these dread creatures sleep between one and two. I shall do exactly as you say, Jack answered. And when you enter the castle, the old man went on, You'll see some grand rooms, but you must go down to the kitchen and out through a door on your left. There you'll find a garden in which the golden apples grow. Pick them, put them in your wallet, then hurry back as you came. Once you get on your horse, you'll hear a terrible yelling behind you. Twill be all those monsters chasing you. But don't look back, not once, for if you do, they'll overtake you. But if you don't, they'll chase you for no more than a thousand miles. Then you'll hear all the noise die down, and you'll know you've routed them forever, for they'll vanish into thin air. In all things I shall obey you, Jack answered. Then he went to bed and had a good rest. The next morning the old man brought out a fresh horse and gave Jack one last bit of advice. Should you see in that castle a pretty young lady, he said, don't stay with her too long or your hour will run out, and don't awaken her either, for if you do, all those monsters will wake up too. 
But Jack had never yet set eyes on any young lady who made his heart beat the faster, so he laughed. <laughs> no lady could keep me long in such a castle. And off he went like a shot from a gun. Then, at last, he saw the castle surrounded by black water on which three beautiful white swans were floating. Dismounting, he looked at his watch. It was exactly one o'clock. So he tied his horse to a tree and cried, Swan, swan, carry me over in the name of the griffin of the greenwood. At once the swans flew to him. He caught hold of the tail of one while the others bore him up on either side. In a twinkling they had him over the water. Then he saw the first gate, which was guarded by dragons. But the dragons were fast asleep, so he passed them safely and he went as safely by the lions and giants which guarded the other two gates, for they were all fast asleep. So far, so good. But as he walked through the grand rooms in the castle on his way to the kitchen, he suddenly saw a sight that halted him in his tracks. Through an open door he saw the loveliest maiden in the world lying fast asleep on a golden bedstead. On tiptoe, he entered the room and stole quietly up to her. And so beautiful was she that he stood for some time just looking down on her golden hair, which streamed out on the pillow. Then he took out his big watch and exchanged it for her little watch. He took out his big pocket handkerchief and exchanged it for her little pocket handkerchief. And bending down, he kissed her. At that, her eyelids flickered. But with a little sigh, she sank back. To sleep again. And now Jack had lost so much time that he had to hurry. Down to the kitchen he ran and out to the garden where he saw those golden apples shining on a tree. Picking them, he put them in his wallet, then hastened to retrace his step. But as he returned through the kitchen, the cook, who had been lying asleep on the floor, was beginning to move. Her hand, which held a huge knife, was twitching, and she was almost awake. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Racing with time, Jack ran at a breakneck speed, for his hour was nearly up. As he passed through the gates, the dragons, the lions, and the giants were all beginning to stir and yawn. But he called for the swans, and they got him across the black water at precisely two o'clock. Mounting his horse, Jack was off like a streak, and in no time he heard behind him that yelling of which the old man had spoken. But he never looked back, not once, and after he had gone a thousand miles, the noise died down, so he knew those terrible monsters had vanished forever. Thus he came safely back to the tumble-down house of the eldest of the three brothers. Gladly the old man heard his tale of what had happened, then he led the youth off to a well, and Jack felt very sorry for him because he could scarcely walk because his long toenails curled up like ram's horns. 
When they came to the well, the old man gave Jack a sword and said, "'Cut off my head and throw it in the well.' "'Nay, nay, I can't do that!' Jack cried in alarm. But the old man insisted. So Jack cut off his head and threw it in the well. Then, to his astonishment, a fine young man climbed from the well while the hut became a mansion. And the young man said with joy, "'Jack, t'was a wicked magician that turned me into that ugly old man and changed my mansion into that tumble-down hut. From his evil spells I could escape only by finding a friend who would cut off my head and throw it in the well. The same is true of my brothers. You must serve them as you have served me.' So Jack rode on and served the other brothers as he had the first. Then he rode on to the crossroads where he had left his own brothers. And there, being weary, he tied his horse to his leg, put the golden apples under his head, and laid down to rest. Thus Jack was fast asleep when his two brothers came riding along. Now they had found no golden apples, so they had picked some common apples and got a goldsmith to gild them until they looked like gold. And when they saw Jack asleep, they took his apples out from under his head. Finding them to be pure gold, they slipped their own apples under his head. Then off they went, feeling very clever, to return to their father's palace in London. Well, by and by Jack woke up. His apples didn't seem any different from those he had put under his head before he went to sleep. So he started out for London full of joy, thinking he was taking to his father what would make him well again. He was nearing the city when he heard all the bells of London ringing as though to proclaim some glad tidings. And when he reached his father's side, he found that the bells had been telling the people that their king was recovered, for he had eaten of those golden apples which his elder sons had brought him. "'Father!' Jack cried. "'I am happy to see you well again, but I too brought you some apples.' I pray you to taste them, just that you may know I also tried to bring you what you needed. At that, the older sons frowned darkly. They had no mind to let their younger brother find his right place in their father's affection. So, knowing well what kind of apples they had left with Jack, they cried out, Father, this young rascal would have you eat his apples that he may poison you and kill you. And taking from Jack the common apples which they had had gilded, they showed the king how under the outer coating of gold these apples were black and rotting. Poisonous enough they looked. And the king was first hurt, then angry, to think that Jack would actually try to poison him. Summoning his headsman, he cried, "'Take this youth away and cut off his head!' So the headsman took Jack off while the poor youth remained wholly mystified as to what had happened to his apples. But the headsman liked Jack, and he could not bear to cut off his head, so he led the youth to the woods and left him there. Jack was wandering along alone, with no weapon to defend himself, when he saw a big bear coming toward him. Quickly he climbed a tree and tried to hide, but the bear came on, lunged heavily against the tree and gave it a shake that almost sent Jack headlong out of the branches. Then the bear could see his face plainly, and all at once the bear laughed. "'Come on down, friend,' he cried. "'I know you now. You're the king's youngest son. "'As for me, I'm not really a bear. "'I'm Prince Jubal, dressed up in a bearskin. 
Over yonder, I live with a merry crowd of youth and maidens, and I only wear my bearskin to scare off strangers, for we'll have none with us, save good, bold, jolly young fellows. But you, you're welcome in our midst. So Jack climbed down while Jubal got out of his bearskin, and when Jack told Jubal how he had been condemned to death, Jubal answered, "'You shall live with me and my friends, and while you're with us, no evil can befall you.' Then he led Jack to a group of white tents set up in a lovely green glade in the forest. Before the tents, many youths and maidens were dancing and making merry, and when Jubal presented Jack, they all bade him welcome.' So, for many days, Jack lived with Jubal and his friends. Hunting, singing, dancing, laughing, he shared their joyous life in the greenwood. But often, when he was alone by night, he took out the little gold watch and the small white handkerchief, which he had taken as keepsakes from the sleeping maiden in the castle. Then he wished with all his heart that he could see her again. Meantime, the maiden... Princess of Melvales, she was, had awakened after Jack left to find, to her own astonishment, that all those lions, giants, and dragons which had kept her a prisoner in her own palace had suddenly vanished and left her free. Next, she discovered that her watch and handkerchief were gone, and that in their place she had a man's big watch and a man's big pocket handkerchief. And the more she thought about these strange things, the more clearly she seemed to remember that she had seen, as in a dream, a handsome youth bend over and kiss her. Then she found engraved on the watch the words, To my son, from the King of England. So she guessed that one of the sons of the king had paid her a visit while she slept and accomplished all these wonders. But which son it was, she did not know. And now she heard rumors that the king, egged on by his eldest sons, had somehow got rid of his youngest son, and her heart was roused with pity for that youngest son. Being as spirited as she was lovely, she gathered an army and set out for London to learn the truth of this matter. Leaving her army outside the city, she went to the king and asked him to present his sons to her. Now, the king thought she had come to choose one of his sons for her husband, so he gladly summoned his eldest son. Straight away the princess asked this prince, "'Have you ever been to the castle of Melvales?' Then he, thinking that here was a wife who would make him rich, answered her with a lie. "'Yes, my lady,' he said. "'I've visited your castle.' At once she threw Jack's handkerchief down on the floor and bade the prince to walk over it without stumbling." Well, that didn't seem difficult to do, so he stepped out onto the handkerchief. But the handkerchief knew to whom it belonged. No sooner had he touched it with his foot than he fell down and broke his leg and was carried off screaming. So the king, in great distress, summoned his second son. But when the princess asked the same question, this prince answered with the same lie. So he too stepped on the handkerchief, fell down, and broke his leg. Then the princess looked the king straight in the eye and asked, "'Have you not still another son?' At that the king trembled. For months he had suffered great grief for the loss of his son, and now he wondered if the princess had brought her army because she knew what he had done. At last he summoned his headsman and asked in a whisper, 
my youngest son. Did you behead him? Nay, sire, the headsman answered. He is alive. God be praised, the king cried in great joy. Then find him and bring him to me at once. So the headsman searched the forest until he found Jack in Jubal's camp. Then he brought the youth back to the palace. And when Jack saw before him that lovely princess of whom he had so long dreamed, his heart leapt within him. Smiling, she said, "'Kind sir, have you ever been to the castle of Melvales?' "'Yes, my lady, yes,' Jack answered eagerly. "'Then please walk over this handkerchief,' she said. So Jack walked many times across the handkerchief. He even danced upon it. Gladly the princess cried, "'Here is the young man I seek,' and she took from a silken purse which hung at her waist the watch he had left her while he took from his pocket her little gold watch and her small white handkerchief, and the two smiled lovingly at each other. Needless to say, the king took Jack back wholly into his love, and he was overjoyed when Jack told him later that he and the princess were to be married. But he was so angry at his eldest sons that he sent them to prison to cool their heels until they could repent of their evil ways and he forced them to tell the truth about those golden apples. Thus, he learned at last that it was Jack who had gone through so many difficult adventures to get those golden apples which had made him well again. So Jack and the princess were married, with Jubal attending their wedding. Then the two bade Jack's father a loving farewell, and returned with their army to the castle of Melvales, where they lived happily ever after. I hope you enjoyed this hero named Jack, and next week, come back to hear about the story of Tom Thumb. Bedtime Stories with Celosia Crane is proudly produced by Lantern Audio Works. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider checking out our other podcasts. We have Punks in the Library, co-hosted by myself and N.J. Sullivan, Old Bob, Brimstone, and my new podcast that will be coming out at the beginning of July, where I will be interviewing various authors and introducing you to some of their works. So please consider checking that out. Also, don't forget LanternAudioWorks.com for all of your merchandise needs, including a new audio story download that you can purchase of my short story, The Hound of Hecate, which is currently available for $2. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at Celosia Crane underscore author. Link is in the show notes.